This episode is sponsored by Newbie Remote Conf. Newbie Remote Conf is a two-day completely virtual conference hosted by none other than Charles Maxwood. If travel expenses are an issue or you just can't afford to be away from home for two days, then join us. It's virtual. This conference is focused on people who are new to programming who want to learn what the pros know or just get a leg up in getting a job and getting into the programming community. We'll have speakers from all over the programming community to help you stay current and a Slack room where you can connect with speakers and other attendees in real time. We'll also have a live roundtable video chat for attendees and speakers, plus we'll provide the talk recordings to you within days of the conference. Early bird tickets are available for $150 until May 12th, and the call for proposals is open until April 28th. So come join us at NewbieRemoteConf.com. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another My Ruby Story. Sorry, I hesitated there. <laughs> Today, we are going to be talking to Dave Kimura. Dave, you want to say hi? Hello. Now, Dave... Usually I tell people, hey, this person's been on this episode and that episode of Ruby Rogues, but you've been on quite a few episodes since you're a regular panelist. Yeah, you know, it's it's been a lot of fun doing those talks. You know, sometimes it's like I really don't have too much to contribute. So I'm like kind of a blank stare. And other times I'm like, Chuck's voice is so soothing that, you know, I almost drift off and forget that I'm actually on a broadcasts and think that I'm just listening to the episode. But, you know, it's overall been a lot of fun. That's right. They call me Chuck Smooth Jazz Wood. <laughs> awesome. Well, I think it's fun, especially with the panelists, to dig into the background that they have and, okay, you know, where have you been? What have you done? You know, how did you get into programming? So so let's go ahead and get started with that. How did you get into programming? Oh, geez. It was back in the early, early 90s back when I was in middle school. And, you know, of course, this is back before, you know, residentials had internet. And it was also back before, you know, anyone really had any kind of decent computer to do anything on. So back in the day, I think my very first introduction was I was living in Germany at the time. And they had this Macworld magazine, or I forget what magazine it was, but there was something, you know, if if you remember back in the 90s, the way you got software or shareware was you bought a magazine, it had a little floppy disk on it. Mm-hmm. And then you can take that floppy disk and put it in your computer and hope it didn't have a virus or whatever. But this floppy disk, you know, I had a Mac LC2 back in the day, so it was a 75 megahertz, 4 gig of RAM, 70 uh, no, I think it was crap. I can't even remember. It was so long ago, but it was a real <laughs> crappy computer, but it's all I had, you know, it was our family computer, but on this floppy disk was a program called chipmunk basic. And it was basically a, uh, homebrewed basic interpreter that you could commonly find on a x86 machine or i386 back then. So, you know, I think that was my first exposure. I'm like, what is this thing? It looks just like a notepad, but it's screaming at me every time I type something and hit this little run button. So, (laughs) you know, of course, it was back before I even really knew what programming was. So Mm -hmm. I kind of inadvertently discovered computer programming while like unintentionally doing so. So I was just always, you know, fascinated with this little shareware thing. So I started off with that and... You know, then I went to school. I'm like, I wonder if they had something like this on our school computers, Mm -hmm. which were all, you know, MS-DOS 6.22 OSs way, way back in the day. And turns out Microsoft shipped with BASIC on these 
computers. I was like completely blown away by this. So after several years of haggling with the parents, I finally got them to get me this uh, little crappy 100 megahertz computer that, you know, ran DOS. So I just started, you know, typing away and programming and stuff. And then I found out at uh, school they had programming language called Fortran, which was often used for mathematical calculations and all that kind of junk. And they also had Pascal and uh, C compiler. So it just kind of like spawned from there where I started tinkering around with all these different languages and programs and, you know, just really sparking an interest. You know, it just kind of stirred up an interest that I had. And, you know, I kind of stuck with it over the years. Nice. Yeah, that's really, every time you said, yeah, way back in the day, I'm just sitting there going, yeah, I'm old too. <laughs> but, well, you uh, know, I, I think, you know, anything that kind of predates the internet is its own generation mm-hmm. or era where things were just so much more complicated. You know, yeah. any kind of learning and stuff, you know, outside of a university or classroom, you basically had to either literally read a book or figure it out for yourself. Yeah. And, you know, I, I don't know. I, I mean, my pre-internet programming was Turbo Pascal. And I think you mentioned Pascal. And then just whatever ran on the TI-85 calculator. So. <laughs> oh, I remember those. Those were yeah. so much fun. Oh, the good old days, right? Yeah. So, yeah, anyway, it's it's just interesting because, yeah, way, way back then, you know, the internet really wasn't this this thing. And... Yeah, I mean, look at where we are. What look at where we're at now. It's just yeah, it's, it's it's crazy. It's crazy. I mean, we're not even talking that much time in reality. You know, over the course of like life, we're just talking like twenty years. Yeah, just the impact technology you know has made in our lives. Yep. Absolutely. So it's kind of crazy. You know, and then you know, not even just the technology, but just what people have come up with, you know, it just amazes me every day, uh, to just, you know, and I try not to take advantage of it, but you know, like having like the internet and stuff and just, you know, things have gone from on-premise applications now to cloud SaaS Mm -hmm. applications and stuff, you know, it's becoming more and more popular. Now it's almost a standard, you know, or something that's expected. You know, I kind of made a shift from, you know, doing a lot of scripting and stuff with uh, basic and that kind of stuff. You know, I took a break when I went off to college and, you know, I picked up PHP and ActionScript or Flash, you know, kind of tinkering around with that and getting uh, ActionScript to communicate back to a PHP uh, API and, you know, all, all of that kind of fun stuff, you know, it's, it was kind of, you know, back in the day, you know, that kind of stuff, it almost kind of reminds me of a Perl program where, you know, you had this action script, uh, stuff trying to communicate with the PHP mm-hmm. backend. And it's one of those things where you can write and you can get working, but then it's not one of those things that you go back and read and try to figure out like where the bugs are. It's just like, Oh, better just start over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So so but, how did you make the transition from that stuff into Ruby then? So after, you know, after college and stuff, I went to start working at an engineering firm as a systems administrator. So, you know, I was kind of their IT guy for, I was there for about six years. You know, I'm not one to really job hop. 
No, I've been, I was at the engineering company as their sysadmin for about six years. And then I've been at Sage Software for almost eight years now. Oh, wow. So, I mean, like in my professional career, I've had like two jobs, <laughs> which spans over the course of like 14 years. That's uh, crazy. Don't you now, know you're supposed to change jobs every year? I know. I know. I kind of miss that Ruby memo. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's a common thing these days. I mean, you know, I know some people have been in the same job for, you know, three or so years and, and they've been there longer than almost anyone else as far as the development team goes. Yeah. Yeah. And that's crazy. Um, but, you know, programming in Ruby and I think that's one of the things that's been able to keep me at my current job for uh, the time it has. You know, and, you know, that's just me personally, you know, uh, I try not to hold it against anyone mm -hmm. if they job pop every year and stuff. But I'm like, you know, there's so much that you miss out on by job popping, you know, yeah. to really uh, grow an application, you know, into something because, you know, at some point you're going to start experiencing some of the, you know, I don't want to say big data, but some of the issues that you wouldn't experience initially, even with some load testing, there's some things that you can't, just can't predict. Mm -hmm. But, you know, uh, so after this engineering company, I left and started with a company that was later acquired by Sage. But, um, you know, then I met my wife and, you know, you had to keep in mind that back before I was married or had a girlfriend, you know, who is now my wife, I had all this free time and I wasn't working and I wasn't really programming. So I was playing a lot of World of Warcraft <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> nice. you know, it was, it was ridiculous how much uh, time I spent playing that stupid game. Uh, but it was so much fun. Mm -hmm. But anyways, I met my wife and she had never seen the game, but she just hated it. Because she had just heard so many people like, you know, this she had read articles and stuff like this video game is a home wrecker and, you know, without even really knowing what it is, just that, you know, it was a bad game. So I'm like, all right, you know, look, uh, I love you and everything, but and I will stop playing this game, but I cannot give you 100 percent of my focus. That's just not realistic. I need to fill my time with something else. So I started program, you know, started looking around what uh, the latest cool and hip languages were or, you know, really just what web languages are out there that are being used today and that do not frustrate me. Mm hmm. So I had eventually narrowed it down because I had worked with PHP before and I had worked with ASP.NET before and really didn't care for either of those. And I was wanting something you know, new and different. So I had looked into Python and you know just some of the frameworks that are associated with Python and then also Ruby and then I found Ruby on Rails. And you know my decision to go with Ruby over Python or another language I really don't have any valid reasoning. You know, it might as well just been a roll of the dice. Mm -hmm. If I had to pick something, it was because I did not want my scripting language to dictate uh, my spacing. You know, I wanted to indent how I wanted to, and that's just <laughs> not really a uh, theme in Python. So, you know, Python kind of lost that battle. But, you know, then... You know, then here comes introducing Hamel and CoffeeScript and, you know, that kind of software. It's the same way. Yep. But, you know, it wasn't that big of a deal. Ultimately, I decided to go with Ruby just uh, after reading some of Matt's, you know, Twitter posts. And just he seemed like a really happy guy. I'm like, this is a guy who created a programming language and, 
you know, he's just, he seems so happy, you know, and I'm also half Japanese and he is Japanese. So I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to go with Ruby. So I really have no good reason or excuse, except that it was just a sheer decision I made at one point And, you know, looks like it was a good dumb luck decision. Yeah, no kidding. So yeah, that, I mean, it's, it's interesting that, yeah, it's, I mean, I got into it because I was working at a place that was using it. And this was before I was a developer. But yeah, you know, I, I got in and I just enjoyed working with it. Um, it's funny that you bring up CoffeeScript and uh, Hamel and some of these other tools, um, which some people love and some people can't stand. Was that part of the appeal or was that just kind of afterward as you got into Rails and things as Rails adopted CoffeeScript and you found Hamel? So for the record, I do not use Hamel. I really don't like it. <laughs> okay. Still, so, but I know, you know, I know of it, and you know, um, and mainly, I learned enough Hamel to just be familiar with syntax for others who do use Hamel that mm-hmm. it's not impeding me from doing what I need to okay. do. But I'm so kind of old fashioned with having to track down that closing tag to see which one I'm missing and stuff. But you know, CoffeeScript, and this is one of those things where. I actually kind of, I really like CoffeeScript. You know, just the cleanness of the code. It's so much nicer than just working with vanilla JS or jQuery and stuff. So CoffeeScript, you know, kind of won me over. It's a lot easier to go back and read that code and actually see what's, you know, kind of going on. And worst case, if I'm ever stuck on something, you know, I use a site, uh, crap, what is it, uh, JS to Coffee. Like it's js2.coffee, and it's basically a converter from JavaScript to coffee and coffee to JavaScript. So, Oh, cool. Uh, if you've never used it or anything like that, check it out. I mean, it's it basically works. I've never really had an issue with it, not reading something correctly, mm-hmm. and it, it does a pretty good job. Nice. So what kinds of things have you done with Ruby? Oh, geez. So this is a... Uh, Another funny story. So web development, obviously, mm-hmm. there's been a lot of a lot of different websites and stuff that I created over the years. But I think one of the cool things that I did, and it's a funny story because, you know, this was, I think, back in 2014 or 2013. My older brother got me a Raspberry Pi for Christmas. I had always wanted one, you know, and I've been, you know, I had been wanting one for several years ever mm-hmm. since they were released. I'm like, this little $35 computer with a full GPIO, how awesome is that? So he got me one, and I wanted to build something with it that was not common. You know, something that a normal computer just could not do by itself. Mm-hmm. So I built a CNC machine, which is basically just a, a computer numerically controlled device. So it had three motors on it. And the motors were controlled by the computer or the Raspberry Pi. And it could, you know, move. So you, you could put like a Sharpie or something on there and it would act as a plotter. Or you could put a wood router and use it to carve things out. Mm. So I wanted to, uh, so I built all the electronics around the CNC machine, you know, from the motor driver and everything. But then on the software side, on the Raspberry Pi, I built a Ruby gem that, uh, called Rotor, and it's not something that I maintained or anything. It was really just a proof of concept of being able to use the Ruby language to control multiple axes 
in uh, real time. So I was able to, and there's still some videos on YouTube that I've made on those, where a Ruby is interpreting the G code, which is kind of like the standardized language for X and Y coordinates, X, Y, Z coordinates, feed rates and stuff uh, for these CNC type machines. So I wrote an interpreter to read those files and then used it to control using threads in Ruby to control the machine. And, you know, it worked and it worked pretty good. So that was one of the coolest things I've made with Ruby along with a bunch of hardware. Nice. Now, one of the other contributions that you've made to Ruby is Drifting Ruby. Yes. How, how did that come about? Well, you know, for those who don't know Ryan Bates, he, he has been a great inspiration and help, I think, to many Rubyists out there, you know, uh-huh. even seasons one. So when he left, I think it was back in 2013 now, you know, he just kind of went off the grid for a few years. And I had really appreciated what he had done with uh, Railscast. And the Drift and Ruby, you know, I don't think anyone can ever replace Ryan Bates. You know, I think his persona as well as his content was always top notch. Mm-hmm. However, I think it's something great to strive towards. And when he left, there was definitely a gap to be filled. And that's something where, um, you know, I guess over the past couple of years, I've been trying to fill that gap uh, with new content. And I do strive to have the same quality that he had. You know, I think he definitely set a high bar and, you know, it's definitely a tough one. Yep. So when when did you start Drifting Ruby? I think it was around 2015, a couple of years after uh, Railscast. And it was something where I wasn't really committed to at first. You know, I was just still getting in the hang of things. Uh, you know, I think I've gone through two or three different audio setups and way of recording and stuff like that. So, uh-huh. you know, it was something that it's been a learning and work in progress. But, you know, I pretty much have a system down now. So, you know, the, I guess the uh, administrative side of editing and, you know, that kind of stuff has kind of gone more mainstream with the process. And then it's just a matter of coming up with new content. Gotcha. So uh, where are you hoping to get to with it? Because I know Ryan had figured out subscriptions and, you know, monetized it a bit and things like that. Are are you kind of heading that way? Are you just trying to put good content out? I'm trying to put good content out and, I think it will go that route. I don't have a date or anything mm-hmm. like that, you know, right. but I think that it it was something where I wanted to give back to the community for however much time. Mm-hmm. And based on the feedback that I've received so far, it, it does sound like it has become a, a resource that some people are using and rely on. So, you know, I think that's been very rewarding to see that, you know, people are using content that I've created to help them in their personal life, you know, with their own personal hobbies, Mm -hmm. but then also with uh, their professional life. So I think that that's been a really cool reward to have. And, you know, honestly, it will go to a subscription base at some point. Now, I really haven't made that determination yet. Maybe around episode 100 or something, you know, but for now, it's something that I've been really committed to. And I don't think, you know, I maybe have missed one week in the past uh, year and a half now or so. Mm -hmm. So I've been pretty consistent with it every week. And, you know, it definitely is a commitment uh, to do from the discovery of what episode I want to cover. You know, that could take a few hours of thinking or bouncing ideas Mm -hmm. off to see, you know, what do I want to cover this week? But then actually doing the research and stuff, you know, it's not 
uh, the episodes that I record, it's not something that I am an expert on already. It's something where, you know, I want to make sure that I'm delivering something new, something, you know, that's mostly correct. You know, I'm not going to be correct 100% of the time, but, uh, you know, it's something that I want to deliver that's mostly correct. So there's a lot of discovery work and making sure that, you know, here is an application, here's a uh, sample case, and, you know, here is a proof of concept of this working. So, you know, sometimes if I don't run into any issues, it could take, you know, four or five hours uh, to really build out a sample application. But then... If I do run into issues, you know, depending on what the issue is, you know, it could take me eight hours to just do the research for an episode. Mm-hmm. So I usually do the research and stuff on a Friday night and then Saturday night. And then I'll do the actual recording on a Sunday evening along with the editing. You know, and that takes about three, four hours in itself as well. Right. So, you know, all in all, it's probably spending about 10, 15 hours a week doing each episode. Gotcha. Well, that, that's interesting, especially, you know, for people who are looking at getting into something like this and saying, oh, you know, I'd like to contribute to the community this way. I don't think people realize how much work goes into, you know, this kind of setup. So, yeah, yeah. I'm just curious. Are there other things that you feel like you've contributed to the Ruby community? I mean, you've been on Ruby Rogues and that that's awesome. I think yeah. most of our listeners understand that. Yeah, and I don't even get paid for it. No, I'm just kidding. I know. The guy uh, that runs it must be a jerk. Yeah. Darn that Chuck. <laughs> no. Uh, and I, I don't want to get paid for it. You know, it's something that I enjoy doing. You know, I have a job that pays me. And, you know, I think my commitment to Ruby Rose, you know, has been consistent, but it's not something that soaks up a lot of time. You know, in comparison to everything else I do, it's like watching one or two uh, TV shows a week, mm-hmm. you know, and to me, that's it, it's not a big commitment. You know, it's yeah. important to commit to it and be consistent, but it's not something that takes up too much of my time. So, you know, uh, it's something that I enjoy doing every week. Nice. Uh, but as far as other commitments, I don't know if you want to, or, you know, other contributions. I've not been as active on like Stack Overflow and stuff, but for a period of time, I just found, you know, it was enjoyable to just go on Stack Overflow to read out questions and try to answer you know, questions that people had, mm-hmm. you know, just for fun. So, but I don't think I've had any like groundbreaking gym or like significant, significant essay uh, contribution to the Ruby community other than doing the Ruby rogues podcasting as well as drift to Ruby. You know, I think that's where I've, you know, kind of found my avenue for contribution. Nice. So what are you working on now? Uh, outside of work, you know, of course, can't go into too much what I'm working on on a daily basis at the job. But as far as my personal stuff that I've been working on, I developed a application that my wife and I use, and it's our money manager. So we had visited a conference that Dave Ramsey had several, several years ago. And it was you know, the idea of having envelopes with your money that you, you know, you get your paycheck, you split them out into envelopes. And that's the money that you have for your groceries or for your bills or whatever. And I never liked, I liked the concept, but I didn't like his actual method or idea with it. So I basically built a Ruby on Rails application that took into account all of our bills, our deductions or for envelopes, and basically just made a digital version of it. And my motivation behind that was I didn't want to 
have a situation where we now have this envelope which has $300 cash in it. That's our groceries for the month. Well, we misplaced the envelope. Now we are literally out of $300. You know, I figure it was just a matter of time before something like that happened. You know, or we wanted to go out to eat where we just happened to be out and about. And then we left the envelope at home with our out to eat money. So now we can't go out to eat even though we had it budgeted. So having this digital version, it's actually online. Anyone can sign up for an account. It's on Futo, F-U-T-O dot U-S. Mm-hmm. And it's really just something that I've used for my wife and I. But over the years, there's been people sign up and use it on and off. But it's one of those things where it's really made a difference in our life, enabling us to not have to worry about money because we see what we have coming in. And we have everything budgeted and allocated out to our bills, our debts, and what we can spend on a pay period basis, you know, on groceries or gas or whatever. That's cool. Now, is that open source somewhere where people can see it? Or is that just something you use yourselves? It's just something that we use ourselves. I've been thinking about opening the source code for that. Uh, I actually just went through a whole rewrite. And I was looking back at my Git history. I think the first version took about uh, six months to write. And this was back in my earlier days of programming uh, in Ruby. So like back in 2011 or 12. And I recently, recently rewrote it. And I basically rewrote all the same functionality in about two or three weeks, just working on it on and off at nighttime. So it's kind of nice to see the difference in you know how long it took me to actually do something that versus how long it took before. And, you know, I cleaned up a lot of the ugly code that was in there, you know, from back in the earlier days. So it's running the latest uh, Rails 5.1.1. It's not using Action Cable, really didn't have a need for that. But, you know, it's using the full calendar gem, geolocation and uh, geocoding. So you can see, you know, the nearby locations to allocate a transaction against ice cube gem for recurring schedules so it's a it actually has a lot of different mechanisms in there that makes it a rather complex application but you know being a fairly simple one as well awesome well the last part of the show is the picks have you ever felt like you're falling behind or that the programming world is moving so fast that it's impossible to keep up then there's the issue of where to go to make sure you're up to date The answer is to join a community dedicated to discussing the latest in Ruby. I mean, wouldn't it be nice if you got Ruby Rogues all day? Well, you can, kind of. We moved our Ruby Rogues Parlay forum to Slack. That means you can connect with our listeners and guests on a platform you're most likely already using. Plus, we've set up a Keeping Current channel that pulls stories from across the web to help you know what people are talking about. And coming soon, we'll be holding monthly webinars and roundtable video chats to connect with experts in the community and with each other. So come join us at rubyrogues.com slash parlay. That's rubyrogues.com slash P-A-R-L-E-Y. Do you have some picks you want to shout out about? Oh, yeah. So this weekend, I got some more power tools. So on the previous, <laughs> on the Ruby Rogues episodes, you know, for a while, I've been just spinning off different power tools. So I never had one of these. So I was like super excited to get it. It's a uh, air compressor. Uh And these things are not only like pretty powerful, they're just awesome. You know, it's a Husky eight gallon, like 1.8 horsepower compressor. So it's enough 
for a couple of projects that I have lined up around the house. You know, we're going to spray paint our fence and, you know, add some shelves and stuff that I want to build. So, you know, an air, air compressor was the obvious choice based on all my research. But it was a kind of a funny story. You know, these things have a pressure release valve that you can mm-hmm. just pull in this little ring and then it just shoots out all the compressed air in the thing. So I told my son, who's only two years old, so it's kind of mean. But, you know, I told him to come over here and just pull this valve, you know, pull this ring. And he did. And it just started, you know, made that really loud gas hiss noise. And he just screamed and ran inside. It was pretty awesome. Of course, then he realized that he's okay. He's not hurt. So he came out and wanted to do it again. Then he just was having a blast with it. Yeah. It's so funny whenever you talk about power tools. I'm like, yep, got one of those. (laughs) Uh, yeah, I use my air compressor for all kinds of stuff. Yeah, I actually have one order from Amazon, just a little air blower gun that you hook up to the air compressor. So, you know, the air compressor I got has a regulator valve so I can dumb it down or, you know, lower the pressure. Mm-hmm. So I'm not shooting off capacitors on my motherboard or something. But you know, I'm pretty excited to try it out. I have a bunch of servers downstairs in my wood workshop, which is probably not an ideal place to have a bunch of... uh computer equipment so i need to dust those out yeah i typically use mine when i'm working on the car you just get a bit more torque out of your wrenches and things like that that you can put on it and then so yeah so i've got basically impact wrench that that i use for a lot of stuff on that and then you know obviously it's nice for filling up bike tires and car tires because it fills it up pretty darn fast yeah um and then yeah nail guns and yeah anyway I like my toys. I mean, tools. <laughs> so I'll, I'll throw out some picks along those lines. One of them, my favorite store to get this stuff from is Harbor Freight. They pretty much uh, guarantee everything that you buy there. So if you manage to break it, they'll manage to replace it, which is really nice. That's cool. I was not aware of their replacement policies or their ethics on replacing stuff. Yeah, it's not uh, everything, but it's pretty close. Yeah, I have to check it out. I've always kind of viewed and you know maybe this is just a wrong assumption like harbor freight is kind of like the kmart of tools or like you know not the higher end but look at their prices they've always been very mm-hmm. like very low on prices and stuff so i might have to check them out for some things yeah they're they're pretty competitive but yeah they definitely take care of their stuff there yeah i i love them it's funny, cool. whenever my father-in-law comes into town and we say we're going to Harbor Freight, my wife just rolls her eyes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I kind of, you know, whenever I go home to Kentucky, my dad's like, oh, hey, you want to go to Harbor Freight? And Sarah's like, my wife, she's like, do y'all need to get something? I'm like, no, we're just going to go look. Yeah. <laughs> just window shop, I guess. Uh, but, you know, a shameless plug, I guess, out there, out there is Drift and Ruby. You know, it's a free online screen or free for right now online screencast of a lot of different topics and uh, Ruby related content where you can view and on there there's show notes so you can see the relevant code used in each episode. So definitely check that out. Um, subscribe to me on Twitter on there uh, at Drift and Ruby and my personal Twitter account is at Cobalts which, you know, it's K-O-B-A-L-T-Z. And that's uh, my old World of Warcraft handle that's kind of stuck around. Nice. Yeah, definitely go check out Drifting Ruby. It's it's a great series. 
one more thing that I'm going to throw out. So I've been on this keto diet, ketogenic diet. And anyway, it's been kind of interesting figuring out what I can and can't have. And the other day we were having spaghetti. And of course, you know, if you're if you're on a ketogenic diet, you're not eating pasta because, you know, it's low carb. So uh, I got some spaghetti squash and I was, you know, I'd, I'd had it before because my mom had made it when I was a kid. But I think she just cut it up into big chunks after roasting it. And so uh, I scraped it out with a fork. And of course, it comes out in big strings of squash. And uh, it was actually really good with the spaghetti sauce. So I'm going to pick spaghetti squash. Spaghetti squash. Yeah, I really have no comment to that. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you enjoyed it. (laughs) I did. I really did. I'm planning on melting some butter over the rest of it and enjoying that for lunch. Anyway, so yeah, you mentioned a lot of the places where you can be found. If people want to get a hold of you or, you know, contribute in some way to Drifting Ruby or something else you're working on, are there good ways for that? With Drifting Ruby, it's, it is actually difficult to come up with good topics to cover. You know, you really have to be creative and, or, you know, just have the idea. So sign up for an account on there. You know, it's free to sign up and just, you know, you can contribute by giving a shout out on episode ideas. You know, once you sign up and sign in, there's a link where you can submit your ideas and people can vote on them, comment on them. You know, so that would be a great place to uh, help me out and saying like, hey, here's an issue that we, we've been having. Can you cover it? Mm-hmm. Awesome. All right. Well, I'm going to go ahead and wrap this one up. Thanks for coming, Dave. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, we'll talk to you tomorrow on Ruby Rogues. All right. Sounds good. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.